again, like, yeah, I'm going to come back to the why, right? Like, I'm going to understand what I'm trying to solve for, for, for my organization and how that aligns with the business goals and how that aligns with my team's goals. And if a vendor is pitching me and it's clear that they haven't taken the time to understand that or to ask me those questions, it's really easy for me to say no. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So we got back from vacation yesterday and I, um, I had a Fitbit charge. So simple, you know, you know, uh, step tracker with like, you know, some very light watch features, um, after is toward the end of the trip, the last couple of days after, uh, back to back 15 mile days, the thing wow. just gave up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. I had 15 mile days. I wake up the next morning and it's just like the Fitbit logo. So I tried to go through the whole hard reboot process and it just, it wouldn't start back up. And I basically just have this vision in my head saying, that's it. I'm done. How many, how many steps is 15 miles? Like Uh, 32,000. Yeah. 32,000. Wow. I'd be, I'd be trash, man. (laughs) Well, by, by the end of the trip, like my right calf was, was nice and tight. My feet were shot. And really, I think what put my feet over the edge was uh, one of the last days we went to the water park. So running around in bare feet all day, mm. just kind of really mm-hmm. kind of put the uh, put the fork in them. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was funny. It just how the thing gave up. So my wife's like, ah, maybe it's about time you upgrade to an Apple Watch. I've been holding off, holding off. So uh, let's see. Was the you upgraded, huh? I went out, upgraded to an Apple Watch. Nice. Well, I followed your lead and I upgraded to a iPad with an Apple Pencil. Oh, and nice. How's that working out for you? It's been awesome. And I've primarily just been using it for note taking. And mm-hmm. it's it's amazing how like the tactile, like just writing during meetings instead of like typing notes, I'm so much more focused. It's it's a weird phenomenon for me. Like I'm mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's like just the act of writing it, maybe it's like a slower I don't know, but I've really, really enjoyed it, and I'm also using it to take notes on, like, books I'm reading and stuff, and so, like, I just enjoy the writing on mm-hmm. it. It's very cool, so. Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on it kind of also changing up just the dynamic of, like, instead of sitting there on a keyboard, like, being able to just yeah. take it and be away from a yeah. desk? Yeah, I've, I've really liked it, and I've also been using it for, for content consumption, so, like, I have, whether it's reading books or, you know, I have some a couple of subscriptions... I think I have three, like I have HBR, I have the monitor, I have the the Atlantic. So I have several um, subscriptions that I have and it's nice to just take it away and sit somewhere else and read it on the, on the iPad. Um, It's nice to kind of break out from the office and kind of be, I, I, I thought at first it's like, Oh, I need to maybe have all this stuff so I can have it just like a computer but something about forcing me to slow down a bit and be a bit more deliberate is feels very freeing. Yeah, and that, that, that I, I agree. That's what I like it for. Is is it it helps me when I have to sit and plan. Yeah, like when I'm trying to plan out like a particular project or just even my next steps for for the next week. Having that and being able to take it away from the laptop because I find myself sometimes, like, you know, sitting or in this case, standing in front of the laptop and with my hands on the keyboard, it's like, what to write, what to write, what to yeah. do. Where with that, I think one thing, like the focus of like only one or two things on the screen and it being full screen and mm-hmm. even just something in your lap, like a notebook, um, it, it, it helps. Yeah. I've been enjoying it. To be honest, I, I, I haven't even spent 
anytime kind of setting it up or the workflow and I'm sure there's way more about it that I don't even know how to use or how to use it um, so I'm sure the value of it will increase but so far I'm uh, yeah I've been happy with it nice uh, that's awesome to hear yeah yeah so you upgraded the watch you have it unlocking your computer tracking your workouts yeah and I had the Fitbit doing that um, so but like there's some upgrades in in that case with like you know more of just instead of just the movements like the heart rate and everything yeah and i just i just got it set up yesterday so i mm. barely had it on for for 24 hours so we'll see but the one thing is is like i just need to turn off like the vibrating like i ah, don't want the, the I, I, yeah. that 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 has been my reluctance to getting it is just how connected it is yeah the simpler i, I kind of like the simpler fitbit so I've been really trying to go in and play with the settings, the notification settings. Yeah. So I get valuable notification settings, not just get bombarded with them. And my yep. uh, my wrist isn't always vibrating. Yeah. It's like even just say, like, you know, because it pairs with the phone, Slack notifications come through. Yeah. And you know, um, calendar notification, everything. If I'm not careful, this thing will be just buzzing all yep. the time. Yeah. Calendar, phone call, Slack. You got to stand up. You have a thing do. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's over. It can be overwhelming. Like I want to turn off some of those things. Yeah. It's it's neat when I'm doing something and like a notification comes in. I can like uh, Jason sent me a message about a half an hour ago, so I was quickly scanning through it. You know, I could see it on the on the phone, but or on the watch. I just but I really do want to kind of limit the notifications it gives me. So yeah. I don't get that notification overload. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Are you using it for sleep tracking as well? Well, I'm going to. Um, yeah. I'm going to try to make sure I charge it like a, a point during the day because my brother-in-law has been telling me like he and his wife have been really using it to, to track their sleep. So I want to get into the habit of that and see what that tells me. Yeah, I have as well. And I, I don't know how trustworthy the metrics are, but I will tell you for me, and it's been one of the hardest changes to make and I have to literally fight it every night. But I'm using an app that syncs with the watch called AutoSleep um, and it tracks both your sleep quality and your readiness for the day based on how well you slept. And my my metrics are off the chart good when I don't eat anything after 7 p.m. Mm, that, that makes sense. But it's so hard to do. <laughs> Oh, it's incredibly hard to want to go get one last snack when yeah. you know, you're finishing up a TV show at 9.15 at night. Yep. It is. Uh, but like, I think it was the last episode of the previous episode when we were talking about, I think I, I think we were talking about uh, intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. I know you and I have recently talked about it. I can't remember if we talked yeah. about it on the podcast or not. But like that, believe it or not, 7 o'clock is like my cutoff time. And I'll tell you this, like when I am good for like a couple weeks in a row, and then I have that one night where I have that late night snack. It's funny how obvious it is the next yeah. day, how like yeah. that, that eating late at night just disrupts your entire sleep pattern. Yeah. And it's, for me, it's like, I just feel like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so. But still, yeah. even though I know I'm going to not feel great, it's still hard. I'm like, I need to go eat a half dozen donuts right now. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's cool. Cool. So, yeah, I fell for, for the, the pitch on the apple. The Apple Watch, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. Well, I'm I'm excited to uh, yeah. hear how you're you're leveraging it. Yeah. You know, because it is there. There, there's a lot in there. There, there's yeah. a lot. And you were talking about the iPad and just getting everything out of it. And like, it, it's funny because I do. I think back to like when Steve Jobs was running Apple. Mm-hmm. Like it was all about simplicity mm-hmm. and the beauty of simplicity. And I will say, like I, you know, having been an Apple user for over 20 years at this point um, because I switched to Mac products before it was cool. Um, I mean, if we want to flex and compare. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> no, just saying like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I, I was using a Mac before I, it was after the iPod, uh, iPod, but it was before the iPhone and the iPad and everything. Yeah. But that being said, like having that kind of history with those products and everything, I've seen them becoming more and more complex. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do with the watch is like, what do I need to make sure it's finely tuned to do? Like to to give me what I need and not just either get, lo- you know, just get lost with it and not take advantage of it or try to do too much and get, you know, just overload with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's hard not to because it has all these features. And so you're yeah. like, well, I need to use all of them to justify me owning this, but it's a bit of a trap. Exactly. You know, and just like vendor pitches in the MarTech and analytics space. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but when I start going down the Apple Watch story, I didn't know how I was going to tie it in. But as we started talking about like device overload and feature overload, it just kind of set itself up. Okay, fair enough. Um, so yeah, let, let, let's pivot into today's today's topic. Um, and you know, the last several episodes we've been talking about the the various things that go into running uh, an analytics team and an analytics org. You know, we talked about the, the use of Agile to manage the team. Uh, we talked about being leaner. We talked about being smaller and still being efficient. Today, I want to change it up a bit um, and, and focus on things that leaders of those teams face outside of just running the day-to-day, month-to-month of those teams. And one of which is is vendor pitches. Because um, for those that had the opportunity to see Jen Kunz's talk at uh, the Marketing Analytics Summit in June, one of the slides she showed up there was the, the MarTech Loom Escape. And it's just funny how every year, each of those logos gets smaller and smaller and smaller with the growing number of vendors. So if you're running an analytics team, if you're running a marketing team, if you're not getting pitched by someone on a weekly basis, you're doing something wrong. Um, could, because Or you're lucky and your contact informa- information hasn't made it onto some list yet, but it will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I mean, they're really good with giving you all of the features um, that, that make their product great. It's, it's having the discernment of making sure that does this product work for you and your work. So today, I've, right now I've titled this episode, Having to Knit the Wisdom to, uh, to Ask Why, mm. um, when it comes to, to vendor pitches. Because at this point, everybody listening to this They've sat through at least one vendor pitch, if not, you know, most likely multiple. And you've run into one or more of the situations where the, the, with the pitch, the problem, the solution are oversimplified, or the vendor doesn't fully understand your situation, your specific problems. Um, and then ultimately people are just, you know, you got a vendor that's going scattershot, um, and trying to hit up everybody. The vendor's product doesn't actually address the problems that your team has. Um, so if you're not careful to recognize some of these patterns that may, may be happening, it becomes easy to get lost and become excited with the possibility of using a new tool and all of the features. Like we were talking about, you know, integrating yeah. an iPad into your work, you know, me adding the Apple Watch to both work, you know, and, you know notifications that come up and just, you know, overall lifestyle. Um, you know, it's easy to get focused on the, the features of the tool and, you know, not necessarily the why of the tool as it relates to your organization. Um, why does this, why does your organization need this new tool? Um, is it necessary? If it is, why is it necessary? So knowing when to ask those, those why questions. Um, so, um, you know, what steps can someone take to fully ensure that, you know, they're fully vetting a new tool and not getting distracted by the, the shiny new features? Well, I mean, I think that the title begs the first thing that we should be asking. <laughs> you know, if we're not if we're not able to slow down enough to say, well, why are we even talking about this? Why are we even spending the time to evaluate it? Then that's where our our problem is. But we we do it so often. I mean, we do it as as teams, as organizations, and we do it in our personal lives. You know, sales and marketing, when when done really well, is incredibly compelling. Um, and how many times? Have you been sitting at home and you've just run out and bought something and you're sitting there looking at it and you're like, why the hell did I buy this? I don't, I don't need this. Like we've all done it, right? But, you know, we saw someone else that had it. We saw a compelling pitch or, you know, we were out and we got pulled into someone pitching it, you know, and we're like, well, I need that. I, you know, when I was, when I was younger, um, my, my grandparents would take me to the state fair and, uh, they always had those booths where the guy with the headset on, like pitching some kitchen gadgets or some other thing. And it's like every year I saw my grandparents walk home with a new thing. I'm like, did we really need that? <laughs> you know, but the when when marketing is good, it's good, right? And you're like, well, I in the moment, you're like, yeah, I need that. Um, and what's crazy is those 1995 purchases that we make when someone's showing you this fancy new slicer thing that's just going to save all our time in the kitchen, that, that, that crazy enough expands to 
spending a half million dollars on an analytics platform or a film like you know we're, we're talking big money purchases but how often have we seen you know a really slick presentation by a sales team act, uh, backed up with some really powerful marketing and then all of a sudden we're signing a contract for a tool and then we're like wait a minute do we we really need this guys <laughs> so you know i think we we really need to be cognizant of the fact that and look we work in the space right we know the tricks and we know everything that's happening and yet we're still susceptible to it um and so i think it's it's really important that we slow down and we ask those questions i think i think a secondary cause to that is um we may be asking the why questions, but oftentimes the why questions don't have the validity or weight because we just don't know why. Uh, there's no answer to it. And I think a lot of that is a misalignment problem or a, a cultural problem within the business. So I think there probably are MarTech leaders that are saying, do we really need this? Why are we going to use this? What's the point? But there's no alignment with the business. And therefore, it's really tough to answer that question because we don't even know why we exist. And so I think it's kind of a two-headed problem. Yeah, I, I every time you, you you mention something like that, the the why why do we exist? I think of the example you've given, where early on one of our initial engagements, going into a client and asking the the working group, um, not the ones who actually signed the engagement, but the working group, it's like why does the why does the website exist? And no one can answer that. And it sounds like, no, people are saying, no, 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 that doesn't, it happens. It happens. And these are really smart people working for super, you know, name brand organizations. Why do you have, why do you have a website? Huh? You, no one's ever asked us that before. I, that's a really good question. And so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, years ago, I worked with a guy who spent some time as, as a car salesman and he's like, he goes, if you're ever going to buy a car, if you want to know if the person's legit or not, like they really know the features and they actually really use the stuff, you know, with the, with the brand, ask them what brand of car they drive. You know, if they really care, they're going to drive the brand that they sell. Um, if they're driving something else, that that could be a hint that this person is just kind of blowing smoke up your ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean we we see that all the time in the in the Martech space and and I think again they're really really good at it and it's very compelling um even if it's not what they're bought into they can sell the hell out of it. I think this this you know we're we're talking about knowing or having the wisdom to know when to ask why, but it's also that underlying why which makes it makes you either very susceptible to these pitches or makes it super, super clear cut, cut on which ones you want to hear and which ones you don't. So again, if you don't know why you exist as an organization, if you don't know why the website or digital properties or mobile app or whatever you're supporting exists, if you don't know what your company's purpose is, then you're susceptible to every pitch under the sun, right? Because every pitch could be somehow aligned to, to what you're trying to do because you have no idea what, what you're trying to do. But when you have clarity on your why, it makes it so much easier. You know, it's it, it's frustrating to me to get pitched all the time, especially when they're they're pitches that are not that are lazy, that are not showing that they've done their research. But we are cr crystal clear on our why, on why we exist as a company. So when I get pitches, it takes no time at all to say, "Does this align with what we're trying to do?" No. See ya. Yes. Okay. I'm interested. Let's talk. Um, and so I think you know. Wisdom to know when to ask why is, is important, but having that understanding of why we're doing what we do is just as if not more important because it really does help inform those conversations and makes you less and less susceptible to this, again, especially in the MarTech space, incredibly persuasive techniques that these, these vendors are using to pitch their solutions. Yes. So l let's go with the assumption that the, the team, especially the, the leadership of the team, knows the why of why the organization exists, why the team exists, what their purpose is. Um, what is the importance then of those you know, directors and above asking why when these pitches come in? 
Well, again, I think it's it's forcing the conversation, forcing an, an analysis and assessment of what we're we're trying to solve for, right? Like, am I buying an Apple Watch because I want to look cool or it's trendy or everyone in my family has it, so I want to fit in? That's a much different conversation than am I buying an Apple Watch because I need something to specifically track metrics around my sleep, I need something that's going to be trustworthy to help capture my my activity movements, and I need something that's gonna give me a really high quality uh, data of, of my heart rate and, and oxygenation levels. Like, those are two completely separate conversations. And and so, and I think it's very pertinent for, for how that applies to the, the MarTech space. Um, it, it, am I am I looking at a customer data platform because everyone else is doing it and it sounds cool and I need to have it? You know, that's a completely different conversation than you know we're trying to get a much richer understanding of of our our customer journey across multiple touch points, and we believe that this those are two completely different conversations. And I and I fear that most conversations are the the former, right? Like most conversations are around. Well, we don't know really why we need this, but like I see other people need it, and like other companies are talking about it. And I see really compelling content on LinkedIn about how companies are doing all this cool stuff with these platforms. So, you know, I probably need it. That's why it's so important for someone to step in and force this discussion of, well, well, why? Why do we need it? What are we trying to solve for? Is it we're getting this because it looks cool to wear an Apple Watch, or are we getting this because we're 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 getting this to solve a very specific pain point or challenge or opportunity that we've identified within our business? Mm-hmm. You remind me of the early marketing days of the iPod. Well, actually, not not the early marketing days. Maybe right before it took off, and it, you know for. Really, like the iPod was probably one of the last MP3 players standing, but it wasn't the first to the market. It was actually fairly late to the market. Do you remember any of like the the MP3 players before before the iPod came out? Oh yeah, I had some of them, and they were super yeah. clunky. Yeah, incredibly clunky. You know, they 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 came with all different kinds of software to organize your music. A lot of times, you had to drag and drop the files over. Um, the, the screen wasn't that great. Um, and then the iPod came out and again, I'm trying not to be an Apple fanboy here. Like I, I'm, I, I enjoy the products, but I try not to go down the, the complete fanboy rabbit hole. Um, so you have the iPod and the iPod was a great product. I actually still have a couple of mine put aside. Like they, they streamlined the UI for anybody who remembers any of those MP3 players before the iPod came out. It had a streamlined interface, both the, the click wheel and the screen itself, easy to navigate, easy to sync, all of those various features. What, what was the main marketing gimmick that made the iPod take off? I can't remember. A thousand songs. The, thousand the, songs, song, in your the songs in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the other thing. If you remember the early, um, a lot of the early MP3 players, they were maybe 256 megs, you know, if that. Um, some of them were just like SD cards you would put in or other some other kind of proprietary media that you could maybe, you know, get a couple albums on. You had to frequently swap it out. So now all of a sudden it was a thousand songs in your pocket. And like that is, and right there, that, 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 that spoke to several people on so many different levels. I can have all my music easy to carry, and you didn't, they didn't have to go through the, the powerful touch wheel that helps you quickly navigate the great shuffle feature, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, and, and um, I mean, I think it's simplicity in the messaging and simplicity in the experience, right? Um, and I don't know that you're overly fanboying because, or maybe you are. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm I'm, I'm, bo- I'm borderline. Let, let, let's admit it. I'm, I'm kind of borderline I'm, there, and I'm trying to keep myself from jumping over that line. <laughs> but I I do think it's fair to talk about that from an experiential standpoint. That there is something to it that makes it so incredibly impactful. I and I you know I saw it 
so when my my grandma bought her first smartphone it was some like who knows what it was some knockoff brand or something she was constantly frustrated with it calling me up making me come over because she didn't know how to use it i'm like i don't know how to use it i can't figure this thing out it's like i can't navigate the screens and i'm like you know what throw this thing away i'm buying you an iphone she got an iphone and without any help from me, a week later, she's making FaceTime calls. She's managing her calendar in it. Like she's, you know, she's got, she's doing, because it's just so like the thought process into the experience is so well designed, so well thought out. Yeah. So kind of bringing it back, like kind of talking about like this and, and, and marketing tags that kind of speak to the why instead of the what, um, to bring us back around to, to MarTech the one thing in the MarTech space, and I don't want this episode to be about bashing sales because one of the things I do want to make sure we talk about is that sales done right will find help these people find the why. Yeah, It's when it's, how do you get past the shiny new features of, oh, that would be cool to do versus, you know, getting past that and saying, yes, that feature would solve this problem for us or it is valuable for us for this reason. So I want to make sure we cover that and not turn this into a bash, sales bashing thing. No, no. And and in fact, you know, I think it, it really helps highlight the value of really good sales executives um, because those that are and. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll just call it what it is. Like those that, that, that take the used car approach um, create really bad experiences, but they don't care, right? And you can tell that they're in it for the short term. I'm pushing this product. I don't care about this product. It doesn't matter because a year from now, I'm going to be working for a different company, selling a different product. Um, it's such a contrast between that and, and sales executives that truly see their role as an educational role and 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 see taking the opportunity to your point it's like let's let's not only talk about the features and why this is such an incredibly you know cool platform for your business to have but let's talk about the why behind it like why would you want to use this what problems are it solving like people from a sales perspective that are taking a long-term approach to it whether they're going to be at the company or not they know that the right approach is to sell something that is going to provide value over the long term because they know that that customer will be a repeat customer. That customer will be a happy customer that tells their friends about it. And so this, yeah, it isn't about bashing sales. It's about, I think, really highlighting those in sales and those in marketing, to be honest, because there are marketers that do the same. There are those that are there to trick you and cheat you. But there are also those that are there to help educate you and help you understand the why and the reasoning behind it. And those are the ones that you want to do, do business with. And those are the ones that I think that we need to celebrate. You know, it's it's so easy on LinkedIn to celebrate the former and they put all their social proof online and they post pictures of their fancy sports cars and their mansions and their beach houses and look how cool I am. And screw those guys. Like, I want to highlight and talk about the people that are helping market and sell these solutions for vendors that are are truly helping partner with their um their their the companies that they're selling to to help them build that wisdom to help them ask the question and it may seem scary but you know if i'm selling and it's something i do when i sell to to our prospects i i if they don't know the why i i put up a stop sign and say let's talk about like do you even need to buy this service from us and they're like Wait, what? Aren't you supposed to be selling us? No, I'm not here to sell you. I'm here. I'm here to understand like if this is something you really need, and if it is, then I then I want to 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 sell it to you because we can be helpful for you. But if it isn't, I don't want to sell that to you. Um, you know, those are, those are the techniques and the salespeople and the marketers that that we should be celebrating. And again, they're out there, but unfortunately, it's the latter, the ones that are in there trying to take advantage of people, especially those that don't know why we're doing what we're doing that that I think deserve to be called out, but definitely not a bashing session. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's actually flip it around a little bit and dive into that. So uh, changing the perspective of, you know, being that, that sales executive or that uh, pre-sales engineer, um, how, what are some of the things you could do? How can you be that person that works to actually help people understand the value and the why to actually create long-term value, create a long-term partnership. Sorry, what was the question? How can you identify? Well, how, how, what what steps can you take? You know, how can you be that person? Oh, if I'm if I'm in a sales engineering or sales role. Yes. 
I mean, I think it starts with your purpose, your why. So is my why just to, you know, hit my quota this quarter and cash out as much money as I can? It's going to be really, really difficult to to think um, in terms of being empathetic and teaching your your prospects. The crazy thing is, is when you do it, you hit your mark, you you exceed your mark. But if that's your purpose, then it's really difficult to to go about it the right way. And so I think the most important thing is to you know, the, the why seems to be the common thread we're talking about here is understand your why. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it, is it to build meaningful relationships? Is it to sell products and services that uh, my prospects truly need? If so, that's where I need to start. Because if, if I have that and I'm rooted in that foundation, then it becomes really, really easy to shift my focus from tactics, from tricks to, you know, get a sale done to, me just wanting to teach and educate and make sure they're making an informed decision, you know, that, that becomes easy. But if we, if you don't understand your why, just as if your buyer doesn't understand the why it's incredibly difficult to do anything other than the tactics. And unfortunately, because there's so much pressure to perform, we tend to use the tactics to kind of game the system, which ultimately creates really bad experiences for everybody involved. Interesting. Interesting. Um, all right. So kind of, you know, bringing us back to, to, to the, the, the topic at hand, what we wanted to talk about, putting yourself in that role of, of running an analytics org, how would you vet incoming, um, you know, uh, incoming pitches, you know, incoming requests to, to talk and to try to sell you something? What, what were maybe some of the initial things you would do to kind of filter out those that you don't need versus those that could be valuable? Again, like uh, I'm going to come back to the why, right? Like I'm going to understand what I'm trying to solve for, for, for my organization and how that aligns with the business goals and how that aligns with my team's goals. And if a vendor is pitching me and it's clear that they haven't taken the time to understand that or to ask me those questions, it's really easy for me to say no. You know, our time is super, super limited. We can't be sitting in pitches all day. We can't be reading vendor proposals and emails all day. And so for me, it's a very first segmentation of have these guys done their research or are they asking the right questions to really understand what we're trying to solve for? If that's a yes, I'm more than happy to put them down the path of spending some time to evaluate if this is a good investment for us to make because I don't know everything. We need help. I don't know all the solutions that are on the market. So yeah, I, I want people to proactively come to me, but I want to meet them to come to me with the right intent. And so if they fit in that, let's go down that path and, and, and have some really informed conversations built on, on trust and the desire to build long, uh, long-term meaningful relationships. And the products and services are kind of a byproduct of that. If they're coming to me and it's lazy, they haven't done any research, they, it's, it's clear they don't care about me, they're just trying to generate a lead, close a sale, for me, it's an easy, immediate no. Am I going to toss some out that may be beneficial? Maybe, but it's worth it for me. I just, I don't have time to evaluate all of these things. And so I have to have an immediate, yes, you're in or no, you're out. 95 plus percent, 98% of the pitches I get are an immediate no, because it just doesn't fit into that mold of what I'm trying to do. And so if you're running an analytics organization, especially a name brand one, and your contact info has gotten out, you're getting hit up all the time. And, and, and it literally can become a full-time job if you're if you're putting your all into evaluating every one of these asks and pitches. You can't. You you simply can't sit in on every pitch. So you need to develop that fundamental. Why are we doing what we do? And have that initial filter to say if you don't pass this initial filter, I can't spend any more time with you than it takes for me to delete this email because I simply don't have time. And it's a really powerful place to get to um, because I know so many in analytics leadership positions that are so overwhelmed with asks. And this is just another thing that goes on the pile and they feel like, you know, in, in analytics, we're so non-confrontational. We like to be people pleasers, you know, and, and so we feel like we have to give every one of these pitches um, the same weight. 
And it, it's simply not true. You know, we have to respect our own time. It needs to be anchored in why we're doing what we're doing. And it's, it's completely healthy um, to say, I have a firm system in place, a filter to say, is this something I'm going to spend my time evaluating or not? And it's just really freeing and empowering to be able to put that in place and not have to sit through, you know, pitch after pitch, you know, email drip campaign after email drip campaign, because you know what you're trying to solve for versus not. And if it's not helping you get where you want to be, and it's not someone that is going to invest in that, just tell them no. Yeah. And, and somehow my contact information has gotten out there. So I'm also getting the vendor pitches and some of them you could tell they just took like a couple little bits from, from my LinkedIn profile mm-hmm. to make it sound like they know what it is, but they don't. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> they, they get really bad sometimes. Really bad. Yeah. <laughs> really bad. Yeah. So I know you get frustrated at half-assed sales attempts. What yeah. are some of the things you've done? There's one in particular I'd love for you to talk about. Like, what have you done to try to, you know, not just be an asshole and, ignore people yeah I've, I've experiment experimented with several things but recently i've actually built a web page um where i talk about my desired approach for how i want to be pitched um and i actually give some some context and information and links that people can read it's like if you want to try again and come back and give a more um personalized pitch for me for what i'm doing and what i'm trying to solve for i will absolutely give you the time to listen to it um, and, and so when I get these really lazy, um, cold emails, I'll re- instantly respond with that, you know, kind of, a have got a text expander that sends that, that message back links to my webpage that, that gives them all the information they need. Um, I've had, do you want to, so let's say I've had about a hundred of those that I've sent out. Do you want to take a guess at the take rate of people that have actually clicked through and responded with something meaningful Two. two, two. I've had 10 that clicked and then came back and just continued their automated campaign and just completely ignored any of the context. I had two that actually took the time to read it and come back with some really personalized response. And I gave them both time and meaningful time. Not just I'm going to listen to your pitch, but I'm going to give you feedback. I'm going to, you know, if this works, we're going to continue the conversation. So. But 90, 98% of the rest of them, nah, they don't have time for that. You know, I don't care. I don't really care. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a fun little project to, to do. And it's kind of helped me stop being so frustrated every time I see it. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just send them some resources. And if they're serious, they'll, they'll read it and they'll come back to me. If not, well, I gave them a chance and they just don't care, which proved my point, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just working, working from a script in that case. Yeah. What happens to an org when, aside from just being in endless vendor pitches, um, you know, what happens to an org when the team leadership doesn't ask why? Uh, Does you know? And again, assuming they understand the why of their team, but when it comes to vendor pitches, they don't ask why. Like, why do we need this? Why are we looking into this? All of those questions. What what typically happens? Well, you've seen what happens. You end up collecting a lot of tools that um, add a lot of maintenance costs, create a lot of frustration. A lot of them just end up sitting in the corner collecting dust um, because there is no why. We don't understand what we're doing, so we just buy all these tools and we're collecting tools to collect tools. And again, from our standpoint of like sustainable analytics or, or simplicity, it would be far better to have two or three tools that are really well aligned with what you're trying to do then like some of these companies 20 30 even like what are we doing here like i don't know i don't know it kind of look cool like again back to the state fair i don't know this guy was like slicing onions with this thing and it looked cool so we had to buy it so we'll throw that in the kitchen you know somewhere yeah and it sometimes it feels like organizations just buy tools to show movement that oh this next thing is going to be what solves our problem yeah, I mean, without getting too political, it's like why so many politicians are, are into rage politics and upset about everything. It's because they have no plan. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't, I have no agenda. I have no real way to think about how to, to put policy in place to help the citizens of the country or my constituents in my state. And so 
let's just get everybody mad and rage about stuff. It's because they have they have no substance. And it's the same for analytics organizations. They don't know what they're trying to do. They don't know what they're trying to solve for. And so they buy tools and it gives the appearance that we're we're doing stuff. And so not all the time. I mean, there are definitely companies that we've worked with that have really, really big complex stacks and they're really fully utilizing it. They have a plan. They have they have something that they're trying to solve for. But I think by and large, when you see organizations that are over-tooled, it's a, it's a pretty big indicator that they don't have a really firm understanding of what their purpose is as a as an analytics organization or a marketing organization or whatever. Yeah, and and I've also run across people in in my time in this space where you know you add like they basically hop you know from place to place to place. They come in like to buy stuff, start building stuff, and then as soon as the building and buying gets boring move on to the next place yeah. to go do it. We, we all know someone like that. And I guarantee you everyone listening to this knows someone like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I can think of a few examples. And what happens is, is they come into an organization where maybe there are problems that need to be solved. So instead of getting down to what, what got us to the point of these problems, you know, and again, another question of why are we here? Um, why are we in this state? It's the, let's just start ripping everything down, bringing the tools that I've used before start building it up there and then because you haven't really gotten to the 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 core of the issue you haven't asked the right questions the same problems come up which is the new tools but they move on yeah so they leave the organization actually in a worse spot than than prior yeah i mean tools i mean are not going to solve leadership issues they're not going to solve people and process issues they may help be part of the solution but unless we uh, unless we identify and fix those things you know, tools may put a little bit of, I guess, the proverbial lipstick on the pig, but the lipstick's going to wear off pretty quick, mm-hmm. um, and we're 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 back to to where we were, and and to me, it's no wonder why so many executives and analytics teams alike are so frustrated, because we're we're caught up in the cycle that we're we're trying to address it with tools, and again, I don't want to put the blame on vendors for being really slick in their sales and marketing. But again, I do think a lot of them are doing it purposefully to take advantage of, of companies that are frustrated, that don't understand their why. And rather than educating, they're taking advantage to sell them more tools because it gives them that momentary dopamine hit of, ah, we fixed everything. This is going to be better. And by the time they realize it's not better, they're long gone. So, you know, it's a, it's a vicious cycle that um, we need to break out of both as an industry as a whole and uh, organizations um, specifically, and in some ways, it's like those folks that buy the. Well, they used to be on DVDs. You know, even even saying that shows my age with the workout DVDs <laughs> yeah. that are now like part of streaming services. Right. You know, they buy them and thinking just the act of buying them is going to get them in the shape. Right. No, you have to follow the program, follow the the steps that come with it to have success with them. You can't just buy them. To, and to not, magically get and, fit. Yeah, not only do you need to follow the program, but what's the missing piece? It's leadership, it's guidance. Consistency. Right? And consistency. And so, you know, a lot of times that can, can come externally through um, through high-end uh, agencies. A lot of times it can come internally if you make the right hire. But yeah, I mean, there's so many pieces that need to align that have to be there. And it's not just the workout DVDs. If we don't have everything else in place, you know what happens. You use it for a couple of weeks. If that, then it goes on the shelf and collects it dust. Collects and dust. you're like, yeah. why didn't this work? Guess I'll buy another one that's a I'll different, different program. I'll buy a different program. And we've all fell victim to that. I've, I've fallen victim to that with to-do lists. I don't know how many like to-do apps I've downloaded thinking it's the app's fault. You know, if I just get a new app, it's going to motivate me. It's going to fix everything. And it never does because I'm not under, I'm not addressing the underlying why, you know, I'm lacking the yeah. wisdom. Like, wait a minute, why isn't this working? What am I trying to solve for? And if we don't answer that, it doesn't matter how great these tools are. We're going to end up with a huge collection of, you know, to-do lists on the iPad that I don't, that don't get touched. Yeah. Yeah. You have to integrate it properly and, yeah. you know, build a habit around it. Yep. All right. Yep. So I think it's pretty obvious, but I want to ask the question anyway, to, to start wrapping, wrapping up. Um, you know, everything we've talked about with this and kind of a bit of the meandering today, we kind of meandered, you know, in a couple of different ways and, um, and whatnot, but you know, the question we try to ask at the end of every episode, 
Now, what does all of this mean in the context of sustainable analytics? Well, we've seen it from our own personal lives. Um, and I think the saying from Fight Club that Tyler said is, um, the things you own end up owning you. So everything we buy, it, it takes time, it takes maintenance, it takes focus, it pulls away, you know, even if it's something sitting on the corner, it's taking up space, it's impacting us. Um, and so if we don't, again, if we don't have a deliberate purpose, if we don't understand why we're, what we're trying to solve for, we're going to end up becoming hoarders. Uh, we're going to collect, going back to how we started this, you know, thinking about the slide that Jen shared. Well, I, mean, I think we've all seen it like that. It, it's, it's a mess, right? And that's what our organizations end up looking like is we end up collecting all of these tools and it's, there's no way it can be sustained, you know, even if we had teams of 20 or 30 or 40 people, but we're talking about teams of three and four people. Uh, it's, it's impossible. I think we have to be realistic with ourselves to say what time, how much time do we have? How many people do we have to support these things? And we have to buy into this understanding that the things we buy, we're not committing to just buy them. We're committing to maintain them. And, and so if, if we fall victim to this mentality of not understanding our why, and we're just buying tools to address the problem, um, I can guarantee you it's 100% unsustainable. There's just no way that you're going to be able to, to sustain it. And again, I would just ask everyone to think about their own personal life. Like think about the purchases you've made. You know, how many times have you gone into these like overbuying sprees to buy stuff, to buy stuff. And you're like, you finally hit that frustration point of like, I, it's not that I don't dislike these things or like not like, you know, but I literally don't have the time to give them the maintenance that they need to be maintained. I think, I think about one of my neighbors who every time they come over, they comment about my hot tub, about how clean it is. And they're like, oh, like that is such a burden. I'm like, it literally takes me 15 minutes a week, but I also don't have four wheelers and uh, side by sides and a pool and all these other things that require maintenance. So 15 minutes is nothing, but for them, maybe it's a burden. So they don't do it. So their hot tub looks like crap all the time. It's, yeah. you know, these are consequences. These are every time we buy something. We, we have to maintain it. And so if we're overbuying, if we're over-indexing on tools, um, it is absolutely proven that we, we simply can't maintain those. And so we, it, it, there's no way that we can have a sustainable practice if we're buying more tools, especially tools that don't align with why we're doing what we do. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there are some family members right now that we're, we're trying to help downsize. I'm not going to say who and, and the circumstances and whatnot. Don't want to get into that, but like just helping them downsize. And the, you know, you, you try to be sensitive that, you know, that there's maybe sentimental value, but trying to get them to really and probe deep into why, why do you have this and why are you holding on to it? Because it is, it is like we're watching them and it, this stuff is holding them back. It becomes a burden. Huge it does. burden. Because, you know, you, you brought up the, the quote from Fight Club. Um, it's a, a similar line is also in Papa Roach's song, Infest, from like 99 or 2000. You know, like ultimately, you know, that stuff you buy ultimately owns you. Um, you know, whether it be just the, the debt you've accumulated to get it or just, yeah, like the time and money comes to, to maintain it. And kind of watching this, it's also kind of been a lesson for me. It's like, God, like really paying attention to buying habits and and even asking myself like on even a much smaller scale like why am i doing this what am i going to use it for is it is it is is it going to be worth it because of the the time involved yeah absolutely and again i love kind of the wording they use for 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 the the episode it's about wisdom it's having the wisdom to ask why and and we we need to figure out how to put up that stop sign or at least a slow down sign in every one of these buying, especially in our roles, like these are big, I mean, hundreds, if not millions of dollars are being spent. We should put up the stop sign and say why. But again, it's amazing how many times it, it never happens and we just roll through and, and buy to buy. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that that's the huge takeaway is just 
putting in place some some sort of control mechanisms to ask the question. And if we don't know why, prioritizing the time to understand that. And and I think that that's that, really important. That, that that's key. It's not just knowing why. It's it's making sure that you do spend the time to understand the why. Yeah. 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 Because we've all seen the show Hoarders on A&E. Mm-hmm. Like I've, you know, I've even come in as a consultant to organizations that have overbought and it is the digital version of that. Yeah. You know, we either overbought or over implemented over engineered things and it's trying to pull things apart. It's hard. It's hard and they fight you and they hate you and they call you names and you yeah. know, you, all sorts of things. But what happens when we successfully do it? Oh, like they they they, they feel lighter. They feel, they feel amazing. Better. They're so yeah. grateful. Like it's so it's it's hard, but you know, we we know that it's what is healthy for them to do and so we're willing to kind of take the verbal abuse and and the struggles of going through it cuz we understand. We understand why they they feel that way, but we also understand that if we can help them navigate through that and 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 clear things up, it makes them feel so much better, but it can't stop there. We again, we have to once we've done that, we have to invest the time in why are we doing what we do? Because if we don't, it's just going to go right back. And we've seen that, and you see that on hoarders, right? Like yeah. they don't un- address the underlying reason why they were buying all this stuff. So they have this house, they feel amazing, it's clean, they're freed. Six months later, they're back in the same space. And it happens in, in organizations as well. We clean it up, we, we make it clear, um, we, we have an understanding that this is a better place to live. They feel so much better about it. Yet, what ends up happening, they, we don't address the underlying reason why. They don't understand why. Six months later, it's like, okay, we bought 18 more tools. I'm like, no. They're right back to where they were. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up there. This, is, this has been good. I, I always like delving into these more higher level topics yeah. that, 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 that really you know, try, try to help speak to more than just what what's the newest tool what's the the newest feature to look at like why should you be doing something and these are these are the tough conversations to have but they're the meaningful ones right it's it may be fun to talk about the new technology and i see it on linkedin all the time like all the cool analytics kids are talking about new tools and new approaches and methodologies and they have 875,000 likes on their posts and fine you know um, and it's exciting, but it's these conversations that are the most valuable and transformative, but oftentimes conversations that are, are tough to have and, and more meaningful conversations and not the, not the scroll through TikTok and scroll through 50 videos in 60 seconds type of conversations. These are conversations that are tough and take time and you have to really sit down and, and sit with your thoughts. But if you want to truly transform your organization and leave a mark, these are the conversations you need to be having. Yes. Agreed. Cool. So let, let's wrap it up there for, for this week. Um, thanks again for the time and we'll talk to everybody later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boot.